Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Oh, yeah, we are back. We are doing it again. Doing it again. Happy 420, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. <laughs> it's not 420 for you, but it's 420 for me and David. So everyone everyone, celebrate the good, the good holy holiday. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Uh, the holiest holiday of the year. Exactly. Easter, what's that shit? Nah, we're here for we're here for for four twenty. Now, um, yeah. that being said, uh, this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name is David, and we will be jumping right back in soon here to our reading of George Jackson's Blood in My Eye. Uh, but before we do that, as we are wont to do at the beginning of our episodes, uh, we are going to tackle some current events. And by we, I mean David is going to tackle some current events, and Nathan's going to react to them, because this is the role I play on the podcast. I get the easy part. Yeah, you always give me too much credit on this stuff. Um, so we joked around about the, the, the holy time, and that was more to be an Easter riff, but this is a holy season in, in multiple religions, yes. right? I mean, All the, it's it is, the Abrahamic it is, trifecta, baby. It is, it is the Abrahamic trifecta, and so part of the Abrahamic trifecta is, is um, Ramadan uh, in, in uh, Islamic faith, right? Um, and something tragic that happens every year in Ramadan is attacks on Palestinians, specifically um, Al-Aqsa Mosque, um, and Israel has certainly not backed down from that this year. Uh, there have been brutal attacks on Al-Aqsa Mosque over the last um, couple of weeks. Uh, they were bombing Gaza as we speak. Uh, my understanding is Gaza is shooting rockets back, as they should be, um, defending themselves. Uh, and of course, you know, that U.S. taxpayer money uh, is going to that Iron Dome. And, and people, I think, sometimes like to joke around as Paper Dome because it's it's not as rocket stopping as it's cracked up to be. And, I, and that's great. You know, I mean, more power to the, the Palestinians. But let's face it, even if that's not as invincible as it, like, you know, is hyped up to be and, and Israel likes to huff their own farts and there's more revolutionary hope than people think when they see Big Scary Gun. That is a very real material defense system that, you know, Palestinians don't have. And so when Israel constantly drops bombs on Gaza and Gaza shoots rockets back and that Iron Dome goes up, as vulnerable as it is, that is still, again, outsized casualties on uh, the Palestinian side, right? This is an mm -hmm. occupation. This is a very deadly force. This is uh, backed by all of the West and all of the forces of reaction uh, to attack and to continue a genocidal settler colonial process. You know, we've talked about that, right? Me and Nathan are in the middle of the United States. The United States is a settler colonial project. It is a ongoing genocide against indigenous people and against anyone displaced um, and and colonized by the project that's victims of US imperialism abroad uh, that's descendants of, of African slaves that is non-white immigrants uh, who have largely been pushed here by the US or US Empire's effect on world economies and and sent them here in desperation or to be behind the gun rather than in front of the barrel um, and then when they're greeted here they're of course you know, greeted with hostilities and, and bigotry. Um, and Israel is in the same design, right? It's an apartheid structure. Um, we've talked about that before. You know, obviously, um, a lot of people, especially, you know, South Africans themselves and Palestinians themselves, uh, see it in the same way that, that apartheid um, was structured in South Africa. And they're very correct in that assessment. I've mentioned before how after the freelance late 30s and early 40s, um, when Great Britain had taken over uh, portions of Palestine from France and was allowing that diamond-free market to, to surface and Tel Aviv became a diamond capital, that market was not working and they instilled the same apartheid as they had instilled in South Africa and that was the structure of Israel. That was when the Nakba happened. Um, and that has not changed one bit since. And this deadly occupation, uh, this Islamophobic bigotry, uh, this bombing campaign, this monstrosity uh, of Western imperialism uh, that is Israel is still killing Palestinians. Um, and it is not getting the same coverage it got a couple of years ago because of Democrats in office. And mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how many times, again, the, the small policy differences between Republicans and Democrats are not 
culture wars, right? They are life and death for thousands of people. And yet, not only do Democrats not deliver on their supposed differences, but they are microscopic compared to what is bipartisan, compared to how these groups are the same, compared to how they serve the bourgeoisie instead of you, and more importantly, instead of workers and colonized people throughout the world, right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of the ways where they're bipartisan, they're the same, and they come slamming down. Um, you know, Biden once again has the same policies of Trump. And yet, because of those subtle differences and because of the reputation of a, a working party, when a Republican's in office, we'll actually get, you know, some imperialist, uh, or some, you know, um, um, anti-worker uh, and bourgeoisie, you know, wrongs have a light shine on them. And then a liberal goes in office and they're supposed to represent the workers and, and it was all in the same policies every party agreed on anyway, and that light goes away. Mm-hmm. Right? And and so, yeah, I mean, we have to remember the Palestinians are, are dying out there. We have to be fighting against the entire settled colonial project, both at home and abroad. We have to fight against uh, United States and all Western imperialism in all forms. We've seen it manifest in not only, you know, um, the horrible downgrade in uh, life, you know, expectancy and quality in, in former Soviet states and completely devolving to this point to the war in Ukraine. Uh, we've not only seen it in the ongoing genocide uh, against Yemen. We've not only seen it in things like Africa, the Iraq war, um, Afghanistan, but it, of course, is manifesting uh, continually in um, Palestine, mm-hmm. right, in the Sotokonal Project of Israel. So that is something that happens tragically every Ramadan. So when you know it's Ramadan, you know that's happening. Yep. Yep. Uh Anything, I mean, obviously the war in Ukraine is still going on at this time. Um, the- yeah, the war in Ukraine is still going on. Um, Yemen, I hadn't heard anything since the supposed short ceasefire, mm-hmm. but I, I haven't heard, you know, who the war's over or quite as much celebration as I would think I would have heard from that. So I don't know how ongoing that is. That's always a tough spot for, for news, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, again, big. Big major machinations in the world, but nothing breaking oh, beyond. The, the one other thing that I did think was kind of uh, interesting that, that was going on world events wise recently was uh, Mexico voting to nationalize their lithium reserves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that- I see. I didn't even I didn't even get to fully dive into that yet. Yeah. But that that's a big deal. Um, and of course, we all remember in 2019, uh, Bolivia has has long nationalized their their lithium reserves themselves because you know I mean they're the the indigenous nation of the West at this point, right? I mean the indigenous movement, the um um, I forget the name of the movement that that waves the uh, Wapala flag in Bolivia, Uh-oh. um. That's okay. We'll just go with Moss because Moss is the party that supports it. And and my brain will work later because I can't ever remember words. Um, (laughs) um, But, you know, I mean, because of Moss's politics and we saw the coup in 2019. And of course, thankfully, people winning back uh, the power a year later, much like not very far away in Venezuela. They had, you know, restored Chavez uh, very shortly after the coup against him. Um, And so, you know, you do worry uh, about AMLO and, and Mexican politicians, but uh, this is very, very good for Mexicans themselves, right? A major thing that has happened in Mexico is uh, drug trafficking and deterioration of the economy over the last 30 years with the establishment of NAFTA. Um, the femicide in, in Mexico had had kind of drawn up from, from NAFTA. So when you see nationalization of lithium resources, that's a restoration of economic stability in Mexico, and that can cut against all of those imperialist aims uh, of the United States there. Exactly. And, and it's very, very good for the Mexican people. So, um, again, I haven't dug into the details of that like I normally would. Um, I don't know if I'm just getting worth those things as, as my <laughs> kids get older and more demanding or if it's just been David, a whirlwind week. Are you having to do but, emotional labor for your children? Oh, don't- God. <laughs> I will... God. Oh, shit. All right. That That is a bad joke about Ugh. the uh, Twitter main character of the day recently, who I'm sure will be forgotten yeah. by this point. But uh, yeah, yeah. Twitter main character of the day uh, <sighs> being bad, par- being bad at parenting. Uh, that was fun and exciting <sighs> to watch. Um, 
not exactly a current event, but damn it, it's there. I and I couldn't. I not was going to say I don't. I don't think we should give too much air to Twitter main characters of the day on our podcast. But there was one thing in that it was like the bad roommate doing yeah. the thing that person <laughs> said, and it's like, and they said the quote was, I guess you know, like we we just both live here, neither of us signed up for this, and it was like, wait a minute, you adopted them. <laughs> God. Oh, um, man. Yes, yes. Staying staying far away from the hell site. It's damaging repercussions on yeah. humanity. Uh, back to yeah, you know, Mexico. There's, there's more to the world out there, right? I mean, there's world events going on. There is. Oh, um, the other thing, and the, and the kind of terrifying thing. Um, obviously, you know, there's constant stripping away of the, the little protections we have left, right? All the mask yeah. mandates are basically gone. Uh, they peeled the mech on airlines, too. Just something. I mean, Delta has been a big pusher of COVID denialism since the beginning, right? They were the ones that pushed like the five day, the, the one week quarantine or whatever it was, or the five day quarantine instead of the two weeks. Um, and apparent, not only is that going away and people are taking their mask off on planes, which is terrifying, especially for, you know, disabled and, and other and immunocompromised and other disabled people. Um, but Delta is doing this very intimidating, like, Oh, you know, here's some champagne. Would you like to, you know, to celebrate that, that we're free from the mask? Take the mask off, which is not only like grotesque messaging that's affecting people out in the rest of their lives, which is very on purpose. That's why Delta does that. But that sort of thing brings about a lot of like rage when someone doesn't play along, when someone pushes back, like, no, I want to keep this on. This is keeping me safe. And so that's actually pretty terrifying, not just from a safety from spread of disease for immunocompromised uh, people and anyone else who's, you know, keeping their masks on. Um, but there's a lot of threat of, you know, public intimidation or public violence and escalation from that. So um, just remember, you know, COVID is it's down compared to the winter spike of this year, but it's up compared to most of last year. They just keep changing the standards and not telling you. And that's that's by deaths. You know, they're testing less. Right. Yeah. I think it's like 12 states are just not even testing. Yep. And the rest is like, okay, you can test if you're symptomatic. Like, it, none of it is going the same. The prevention is just getting flung out the window. And of course, the repercussions of that is deaths are going up. And just because they're not quite as high as this last little winter spike, um, that I think even scared some of the COVID denialists does not mean they're not up over most of last year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, stay safe. Um, obviously, you know, this isn't quite the same as like, oh, individual recycling won't save the environment. There's still some, a little more utility to, to keeping a mask on yourself and taking safe precautions yourself than that. Uh, but obviously this is something that it either takes a large systemic effort or it doesn't, you know, um, the deaths go way down in China and they don't go way down here. And it's not just people that d- don't wear masks that die and, and people that do wear masks that survive. It's not that kind of dichotomy. No, it's not right? that binary. Um, yeah. So again, you know, I mean, mask up, educate people around you, um, and push back against this, right? Exactly. In every way you can, it, you know, constantly push it's the same way we had to, you know, have to push back all the time against climate change dialism. Don't, don't let this go by the wayside. Don't let COVID realism become a thing. Oh God, no, no. Someone's going to write that book now. You've, you've brought this into the world and I curse you for it. <sighs> um, <laughs> That being said, uh, if if there are no other uh, percolating current events, we will jump right into the reading for the week. Uh, we are jumping in on page 41, which seems uh, just ridiculous that we're 41 pages into this book already. Feels like we just started yesterday. Uh, but here we go. If we accept revolution, we must accept all that it implies. Repression, counterterrorism, days filled with work, nervous strain, prisons, funerals. That's an uplifting way to get this started, gang. All right, here we go. Yeah. Starting on a high note. Uh, but, right, but it is something no, you do have to is, accept. It is critically you know? important. Um, all right, so a, a podcast you know that, that we've actually collaborated with in the past, and that's Rev Left Radio, uh, did an episode in September. Um, Brett even brought in Allison, who he works with on Red Metis podcast, a, kind of a similar podcast to this and, and getting theory out there, but they summarize it more and, and, and churn out a lot more works and kind of section it a little differently to like the book, how it applies to you. If you are you somehow know, blah, blah, blah. listening to this podcast and not also listening to Red Metis, go fucking 
you pause this episode and go listen to Red Menace for the love of God. Yes. Uh, but one thing they did point out um, in September, they were doing a, an episode um, that critiques the patriotic socialism and, uh, you know, where it has failed in the past. And it's a really good episode to listen to. Um it's really good, even if you're, you know, like us and like, you know, screw this patriotic socialism bullshit. The American flag is not socialist. There's still some points on there about not reducing it to just calling it Browderism or, you know, understanding the full context of it. Um, and something they talked about is they, they actually dug into Lenin because people misuse labor aristocracy or they claim the idea of labor aristocracy is dead all the time, right? Um, and they dug into Lenin's work on labor aristocracy, and something they pointed out is that, you know, of course, we have to understand that uh, these revolution and these things, they're in the long term is in all of our interests. That's why we're on, you know, we're the proletarian that's on our side, right? Um, but whether it's simply short-term interests um, that, that go against us, and, and that's the bringing about of repression and things like that, uh, or long-term interests for some other group we belong to, right? Um, like, you know, being American versus being Iraqi, or, you know, like in Nathan and I case, being, you know, white instead of people of color, right? Any, any group that, that brings that kind of benefit otherwise, um, you are going to have to face some kind of setback there for your gains as a worker or as a colonized person or as a trans person or whatever group you are in that is being liberated, mm-hmm. right? So we're all in this fight together, but you have to accept that step back. This is a little different um, um, variation or a little different idea of that. But again, you're going to have to accept that there's back and forth and there's gains and losses and there's struggles in revolution. Revolution is not simple. It's not this idea that like, oh, things are going to get better and let's just pick the things that are going to get better and fight real hard and they magically get better. That fight comes with repression. That fight comes with pushback. That fight comes with all of the forces coming down on you. And as we said before, you know, you have to take this personally, right? This is uh, kind of the, the Leslie Feinberg, um, understanding of of solidarity right where where she talks about like um you know it's personal to you right even if you're not in that group you belong together solidarity is not transactional no solidarity is not something uh that you do because you know you you believe you care or it's performative it is something you do because that's deeply personal right that 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 if it's harming you what harms one harms all and what benefits one benefits all right Mm -hmm. Exactly. Our present problem as soldiers is to protect our political people at their work and enforce the increasing demands that the people, as a political result, will make upon power. The soldier is the counter-terrorist, the bodyguard, the first of a military vanguard. The distance between him and the class enemy is a free fire zone. He has to be the baddest and the strongest of our kind. Calm, sure, self-possessed, completely familiar with the fact that the only things that stand between black men and violent death are the fast break, quick draw, and snapshot. Terrible Jonathans teethed on the barrel of the political tool, hardened against the concrete of the most uncivilized jungles of the planet. Chicago, St. Louis, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Hey, look at that. We made a top four list. Look at us. Oh, yeah. Hey. Hey. Tested in a dozen fires. Tall, slim youth, the new N-word, with a gun and the eyes of the hunter, the hunter of men. These comrades must make the first contribution. They will be the first to fall. We gather up their bodies, clean them, kiss them, and smile. Their funerals should be gala affairs of home-brewed wine and revolutionary music to the dance of death by. To do the dance of death by. We should be sad only that it's taken us so many generations to produce them. Building consciousness and revolutionary culture against the repressive natural defense reflexes of the system means taking realistic day-to-day issues like hunger, the need for clothing and housing, joblessness. I'm going to read that again. Building consciousness and revolutionary culture against the repressive natural reflexes of the system means taking realistic day-to-day issues like hunger, the need for clothing and housing, joblessness. That is feels very key to everything we talk about all the time. Uh, yeah. But I just want to reiterate it because it's it, it's right here and it's important. Yeah, and, it, and it's pretty simple, right? I mean, first and foremost, again, what benefits one, what benefit, benefits all, what harms one, harms all, right? If you're a comrade, if you're a um, fellow, you know, proletarian, if you're a if you're fellow man, is 
starving, is houseless, is hungry, is cold, you should want for those needs to be fulfilled anyway. You should be driven already to organize to solve these problems. I mean, what the heck else has got you here? Yeah. Right? But on top of that, in in a more utilitarian fashion, if you're going to radicalize people, if you're going to come up to people who are starving and say, I'm here for you, we need to work together to slay this dragon, why would they follow you? Unless you're making sure they're fed, mm-hmm. unless you're making sure they're clothed, unless you're making sure they're educated and they have the health care they need, right? Um, you know, I mean, if they need socks and you're going, well, too bad, so sad, anyway, here's a book, that's not going to help you, no. right? You're going to just look like a Jehovah's Witness going door to door. Same thing. Uh, and, and I think the same thing extends to I'm hungry, I'm cold, I'm tired, here's a gun. Um, right. It, it, it all. It, it's. It, I think back to the. Uh, uh, what should we call it? The oh god, the Fred Hampton speech when we talked about education uh, that mm-hmm. I've referred to a number of times because I latch onto one thing and that's what I love. Um, but it is it, it, an uneducated. You take someone that that doesn't have the political education, doesn't have this, and try and build a any kind of of, of cadre, any kind of thing. You're just going to end up with misguided vigilantism, and that's not going to yeah. solve anything. No one is advocating for that. That's not going to solve any problems. Um, well, there's a myriad of repercussions too. Like again, you know, I mean, a big part, and we've said this before. A big part that we you know oppose gun control is not only the need for them for defense and revolution. Um, which is a major, major part of his opposing gun control, but also we'd know what would happen if it was made illegal, right? The same way that, you know, um, supposed human trafficking is cracked down on and it's just used to crack down on sex work, right? Which is just used to crack down on marginalized people, right? It doesn't matter how harmful you may think drugs are. Um, You know, the war on drugs is just to crack down on marginalized people, right? And and to facilitate destructive imperialist drug trafficking throughout the Americas on top of that, you know, um, and not just throughout the Americas. I mean, obviously, we've talked about opium poppies in Afghanistan and and things like that as well, right? Um, That does not mean that you know, we just think like handing everybody a gun is is a magical fix-all. There's, you know, guns are things that children can find and very tragic things can happen in those instances. You know, um, guns are are things that, you know, one of the keys when, again, you know, when we're trying to prevent suicides among comrades, right? Accessibility to tools of death is one of the biggest factors um, in those, you know, following through, right? Um, and so these are all repercussions of guns. So we need them. We should not be scared of them. We should certainly, uh, not support any kind of ban on them, um, or anything that puts them exclusively in the hands of the state structure to be used to repress us. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and some amount of us are of course going to have to have them for them to work, but they're not a magical fix all even books. We've talked about four too, you know, guns can be a tool of good or harm. Books can be a tool of good or harm. And, at least in the books, the content heavily affects that. Now, it doesn't completely affect that. You know, you can use marks just for opportunist bullshit. We've seen that left and right. We fought <laughs> against opportunism God knows how many times, right? Uh, and revision God knows how many times. The content of the book isn't a magical fix-all. Cowski, right? we're looking at you. um but even then the content is a big influence guns are a tool along the same lines especially with regard to political power uh but guns also you know have very little utility in like helping a comrade you know learn how to cook or farm when you're not available that that books do have and guns aren't going to vary by content very much no right (laughs) No. Um, so we can't just like give people guns. You know, we, we have to be able to use the practice of building actual power, right? If guns are an access to power and we organize for power, we should be organizing power structures and using guns to empower that and defend ourselves, not just handing out the guns as a completely separate thing. No. Not just possessing a gun individually as a completely separate thing. Yep. It involves provoking repression, feeding on it. The fact of political and political economic prisoners in legions and the process and the processes used by the oppressors to judge and condemn them must be used as the rallying cries of revolution. Economic crime and even crimes of passion against the oppressors must be understood as rebellion. Even funerals can be used as an issue since there will be so many of them. Improvising and, and- yeah. 
again, I'm, we're going to stop a lot this paragraph because it's very rich, <laughs> right? He's talking about, but he, again, he's talking about uh, when, when we use the term propaganda, right? We use it in a materialist fashion. So it's not just this like, just the evil stuff the government says to fool you and make you an underling or, or whatever, right? Propaganda, very explicitly, is delivering a message, you know, tool, news, science, understanding, whatever, uh, with a very specific um, conclusion in mind to influence, impress upon someone, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if I'm trying to tell you about the science behind lung cancer because I want you to stop smoking – that's propaganda, right? Whether I'm a government or not, if I'm some kind of revolutionary party, I'm some kind of political action that has a goal of conclusion, that's propaganda. Propaganda can be good, or it is obviously very usually bad, but but certainly not always. You should be using, you know, agitprop is a very big part of revolution. You should be using these events as agitprop, and we see that, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Black Lives Matter protests don't shoot off because – Oh, it's the fourth Tuesday of August or some shit, right? It's someone was killed by a police officer and we made sure they're not forgotten, right? We made sure they're not an invisible victim and we push back. Exactly. You know, Um, again, you know, George Jackson himself, we talked about that in the introduction here Mm -hmm. and, and all of the attention around him, right? These are very important things. And there's a reason that they also try to trash these victims and try to trash these martyrs and, and, and a big part part of COINTELPRO was criminalizing the Black Panthers, right? It wasn't yeah. just killing them. No. You know, you, it wasn't just Because if you're war, just kill, was, if you kill them propaganda. without the criminalization, then you're creating martyrs. Mm-hmm. You need that criminalization aspect to diffuse that that martyrdom aspect. It, it's it's calculated at every level. Right. And conversely, if we just die, we're just victims. Whereas if we die or or live through the political project and we make sure that our dead are honored now they're martyrs. Now, now we're heroes. Now we're revolutionaries, right? Again, it, it, in the broader sense, it also has yeah. to be in the conduct of a revolution. Exactly. And that's where, you know? that's where you get um, into, and- you don't want, you don't want adventurism. You don't want vigilantism. Your, mm-hmm. your death does not further the cause. We want you. We've said it before. You live for the revolution. You don't. We're not trying to die. We're not. We're not out here trying to die for the revolution. We're trying to live for it. And we want to make sure as many of our, our comrades come along with us as humanly possible. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, I mean, any adventurism, any, any, um, um, I suddenly lost the other word. Um, but, but, oh, vigilantes. Thank you. Any vigilantism, any, uh, you know, uh, um, adventurism that should be seen as, as a point of rebellion. And we should support that rebellion. We should just think about channeling our actions into constructive revolutionary actions to fight back. Exactly. Right. Like if there's, if there's adventurism and, and, you know, somebody turned around and, 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 knocked off some horrible white supremacist, right? We're not going to be like, well, we condemn that. We condemn violence. Yeah. No, no, that's an act of revolution or uh, an act of rebellion. We fully support that. We just don't think that's strategically the best way to go about the revolution. And we need to structure any, you know, violent, nonviolent, otherwise actions towards the revolution with a plan. Exactly. Improvising on reality is the key principle underlying the building of a united left and raising the consciousness of the people. It will give us our tactics. In the black colony and other depressed areas of the country, there will be less difficulty in organizing, mobilizing, and altering the attitudes of the people toward their class enemies. However, in the areas of the class structure that can be said to be making it, quote-unquote, affecting attitudes towards revolutionary change in the system of production and distribution will, of course, call for the destruction of their comfort, the manufacturing of a condition where they will be either neutral or complementary to the revolutionary effort. Oh, shit, do we... Yeah, is that a common thread mm-hmm. that's still very evergreen today um mm-hmm. how do you how do you convince people that are otherwise comfortable within this system uh that that they're going to have to give up that comfort for for, for revolutionary change and that's i think where jackson's kind of acknowledging that look they're they're either gonna your best bet is to keep them neutral or complimentary but they're they're probably never going to be leading the vanguard at that case because their material yeah. conditions don't don't put them in a place where they're they're necessarily going to have the the fervor for revolutionary action. 
Yeah, and, and again, we can't take this in a literal or a literal a liberal sense. No, we're like one person belonging to a group that is oppressed automatically makes them revolutionary, no. and one person, uh, you know, being outside of that oppressed group automatically makes them not. And I'm not talking like the bourgeoisie. I'm talking like you know a, a working class white man. Not saying like they can't be revolutionary, but also like if your party is you know, heavily, densely populated, being led by, you know, almost exclusively white men. It's like, uh, there's yeah. a problem there, right? Like, these groups as groups um, should be understood that, you know, if they're comfortable, you just don't want them siding with the fascists and killing you. Yeah, because that's your best they're bet. they're probably not going to be, you know, the the, the fists that you, you thrust forward in the fight, you know? Yeah. The psychological effect of our secret army, the real destructive effect it can have, an increasingly pervasive underground press with new emphasis on a mass style, the popularization of the revolutionary culture and the elevating of it, both under the direction of an ultra-aggressive political party. These three, with no element missing, connected to the realistic issues, form the basis of our only hope. There will, be no, there will be no educating, no consciousness, no revolutionary culture, no forward movement without these three elements working with the harmony of a healthy organism. To sum up, the existence of a political vanguard precedes the existence of any other elements of a truly revolutionary culture. If the thrust of this political vanguard is effective, demonstrating realistic, sincere designs aimed at the overthrow of established power, it will be attacked by the built-in automatic survival instincts of the established power complex creating and supporting the need to counterpoise the violence of power. Without the ability to organize a counterforce to neutralize the violence of established power, antithesis dies. We are not contending with fools who will allow us to simply walk in and organize people to war against them. All serious challenges will be met with panic and repression. That is axiomatic. We must not allow ourselves to be hunted, imprisoned, and murdered. We will never yield to terror tactics. We will organize a violence of our own, hidden and more aggressive. We fight from a position of weakness, but there are tactical devices that, if employed without restraint, will afford us a very real advantage. Again, every revolution has been outgunned. You can't go, oh, I'm outgunned, we'll never win. Every revolution has been outgunned there are still tactical advantages as the revolutionaries again in the end we may not you know our vanguard may not um alone outnumber the bourgeoisie in total right and it's it's collaborators and police forces and things like that although you know well organized and, and when we get to that point in the revolution however that quickly that goes you know tomorrow you know a decade whatever right it'd probably be pretty even at some point um, we still have numbers on our side, right? We are still in the interest of of the broad masses, um, but also we have, you know, we have advantages, right? And we just have to use them correctly. Uh, but the more important takeaway from that paragraph is they're not going to roll over and like, ah ha ha, you know, what what if we just let them? We'll let them have their power. We'll let them fail. Ha 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 ha. You know, yeah, no, not they happening. didn't even do that. The closest they came to doing that, the closest they came was after the Russian Revolution. And they didn't quite do that. They, they sent in a very deadly, um, you know, force. They backed the white army. I was about to say, the, what, tons that, that of whole, like, worldwide invasion of Russia seems like they were pretty serious. Yeah, yeah the worldwide invasion of Russia uh, was a pretty big deal. And remind you, like, all of these imperial forces were pretty exhausted from World War One. Um but they didn't quite go on a full-scale invasion with everything they had left no. because they were like, aha, they will they will fail, right? So that was our, our one chance. Well, they were exhausted by World War One. They still came in an attack. They caused a, a horrendous famine. Uh, and I think they kind of learned from that not to fuck around, no. right? They're not going to let that happen again. No. And that was met with brutal repression, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean... Why do we think we would escape that? Why do we think we can trick them? Why do we think we're the most, you know, clever person? No, you're not. You're not above the system. You have to work concretely as a revolutionary among revolutionaries. Exactly. The fascists believe that one guard with a machine gun can control a thousand men. But I know that this guard cannot watch all 1000 at once. While his attention and gun are trained on a gathering of 10 who whisper freedom, closing on his blind side, my knife will claim his life. A political thrust is immediately followed by a hidden military thrust in the opening phase of revolutionary culture. 
leadership must be protected, and it helps people bit by bit to understand and relate to the necessity of violence in any plan to overthrow anything. Overthrow means violence. In our case, it means putting to death. This is the last time I'll repeat this for those of us who, for one dread or another, will not seem too receptive. Fighting originates from a well-developed kick in the ass. The proletarian, the working class, is still the most revolutionary class and still the real gravedigger of capitalist society. However, the notion that they alone can or must carry the revolution is too ridiculous and simplistic for any serious consideration at all. That's a pretty just hand wave off of a, a, a contentious claim, and I, I like it. I like a man that just says, screw this noise. Bye-bye. <laughs> Fuck this bullshit. Fuck this bullshit. Flip the table. I'm out of here. The industrial working force of today's modern industrial state may be pivotal in carrying out a successful revolution against the state, but their power and numbers have been vastly reduced by such development as automation, military corporate elitism, the connection through marriage of government, military, and corporate heads, the new class of national guard pigs. They broke the postal strike, government-controlled unions, right-to-work laws, etc., the argument that centers on the ideal that all workers must be politically educated before the revolution can support a violent thrust verges on the absurd. Today, nearly six and a half million of them can't find work, and those who are working seem to be convinced that foreign wars and armament spending are more desirable than unemployment. Of course, they should be made conscious of their exploitation, and they must be moved to act on, on, in their behalf. Those who feel that they would are doing well and those who are actually doing well should first be introduced to the fact of surplus value. And now I'm going to read an explanation of surplus value because it's a footnote, and here we go, gang. Surplus value in Marxian economics is the number of hours a worker can work in excess of what is required to provide him with minimum sustenance. The product of surplus labor is known as surplus value. It is the only source of profit for the capitalist that leads to the exploitation of the worker. There you go. A succinct one, yeah. one little, two little sentence explanation of surplus value for you. There, there were no coats. There was no linen. See, Marks, you could have done it. Could have done it in two sentences. You chose not to. That's you. That's on you, man. That's on you. Nathan's not better. I'm not better. David, you want to take over for a little? Yes. Waiting passively for the final verdict of history is not making revolution. It flies in the face of revolution. It ignores the existence of bread and circuses, terror from the right, and the racism and animalism of the ruling class pigs. It doesn't take into account the fact that they know we are coming. It and of course, you know, I mean, this, this is a materialist argument, right? Um, and, and we've talked about this before, understanding materialism in, in many ways, right? In the broad, politically applicable way, um, and what differentiates it from idealism truly, right? Is that an idealism, you know, from the idea, you know, comes the world, right? Your thoughts just shape the world. This is how you can get things like great man theory, right? It's, it's, you know, I think therefore I am type stuff. Um, whereas materialism is the material surroundings of you affect what even ideas you have and what ideas you can implement, right? And more broadly, that's a process of what's called historical materialism, um, which is, you know, the history of class struggle, right? And that's a subset of dialectical materialism. Dialectical materialism is my ideas, rather than coming from an idea and coming through debate, come from evidence and center around contradictions when i see a contradiction and i see two sides there's a contradiction between them i must determine what that contradiction is and how to resolve it in order to understand getting through that contradiction that's truly dialectical materialism right i can see that you know i can see like he says the bread and circus the terror from the right right you can see the clan you could see the police you could see the kyle rittenhouse um people out there right you can see the the attacks on 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 uh, black churches um you can see all of these things and know like okay you know i can't just say hey mark says the workers so throw the rest of that out or radicalize all the workers we we have to use our numbers blah 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 right we'll have the numbers but we have to know what we're combating we have to be honest we can't go well this doesn't fit into my preconceived idea of the theory, so I can't understand the theory within the context of this evidence and draw better material conclusions. I have to stick to it. That that that's absurd, yeah. right? This is a real life, you know, material revolution. It's happening in the real world. At least we certainly hope it is. If we want it to happen in the real world, we have to engage in the real world. Yep. 
They know how to hold on to their privilege. Could they have held on to it this long otherwise? We are being repressed now. Courts that dispense no justice and concentration camps are already in existence. There are more secret police in this country than in all others combined. So many that they constitute a whole new class that has attached itself to the power complex. Repression is here. It's time to move with determination. After our victory, no one will escape our justice with the now historically classic line, well, we didn't know. Repression is here now, and we won't reach the next level of revolutionary consciousness and activity until we meet it with a counter-terror and demonstrate to the people that we are here and resistance is possible. From a letter mailed by Jonathan shortly before his death. Why do we go for this old shit? Most of the fascist functionaries live as unguarded as I do. I could slip a knife between Marks Rafferty's ribs. The Agnews and DuPonts, the Rockefellers and Morgans, all of the Getty, Hunt, and Hughes types who sneak around in armor cars and jets are just as reachable. Anyone who will come out of his bomb shelter can be had. Imagine what Nixon's armor car would look like if I stepped out of the alley and hit it with an anti-tank rocket launcher under my coat. A ball of fire. He will be their reward. But the gorilla needs our help. When Jonathan steps forward with his anti-tank, anti-Nixon rocket launcher. <laughs> okay, uh, no, no, we're not passing over anti-Nixon rocket launcher, okay? That's, that's, that's a good term. That's, that is yeah. a, that I, I, David, I need you, I need you to make me an image in your Photoshop by Photoshopping MS Paint ways. Oh, anti-Nixon rocket launcher. I just launcher. need a rocket launcher and the head of the rocket is just Richard Nixon's head. Um, <laughs> I, I need Tricky Dick being fired out of a fucking you know rocket rocket launcher i need it i need it i need it yes uh there should be nine more like himself with assault rifles to close an exit path for him and there should be a political infrastructure a cadre not far away to explain his actions and glean from them the greatest possible overall political effect again this is the difference from this in adventurism Mm -hmm. um Prestige stands between the masses and a revolt against their class enemy. The aura of magic, glamour, luster, and splendid permanence covers these fascists like a protective layer of fat. The slimy scales of majesty shield and conceal the dilapidation of the old bourgeois reign of terror. Although in reality, nothing remains but the illusion. They can still organize violence, but the Indo-Chinese have proved that not to be too formidable. Our present task is to illustrate this point forcefully to the people. The fascist industrial state can organize a ponderous... Oh, not preponderous, just a ponderous. A ponderous, mechanized violence. But the systemic, industrial-based holding action is helpless before the fluid, mobile, self-impelled attrition of people's urban guerrilla warfare. With his techniques of fully developed and established, the urban guerrilla launches his attacks on the corporate military police complex with some of these military objectives in mind. One is to weaken the local guards or the security system of the dictatorship. Given the fact that we are attacking and the guerrillas defending, which means the catching the government in a defensive position with its troops immobilized in defense of an entire complex of national maintenance, with its ever-present fears of an attack on strategic nerve centers, and without ever knowing where, how, and when the attack will come. Uh, a good example of this, and we talked about that before. Again, we're talking about you know urban guerrilla uh, warfare in the, the you know United States. Uh, uh, but and and we have examples here, like say the Watts Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, but a good recent example we were talking about the genocide, ongoing genocide in Yemen, was the Houthis hitting strategic targets against the Saudis. Right, the entire world is ignoring, is mostly ignoring, other than bombing the shit out of them. They they have no access to ports. They are completely stripped dry. And yet they are, you know, hitting oil fields that make it hurt for the Saudis, right? And that, that backs the Saudis off. That saves their life. You know, you, you can be smart about these because these people live behind the biggest weapon apparatus in the world for comfort. You know, you violently disrupt their comfort. All of a sudden they're, you know, uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Um, the next one is to attack every side with many different armed groups, few in number, each self-contained and operating separately, to disperse the government forces in their pursuit of a thoroughly fragmented organization instead of offering the dictatorship the opportunity to concentrate its forces of repression on the destruction of one tightly organized system operating throughout the country. 
Um, again, you know, it, this was, I think, during or, or, or uh, um, right after the process of COINTELPRO. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, he saw a lot of the, the leadership get lobbed off from the Black Panthers, right? Um, the party does need to be powerful. The, the front-facing organized party does need to be powerful. But anything clandestine, um, he's, you know, advocating for smaller clandestine separated groups. You can't just destroy the head of a clandestine group and disable a large apparatus, right? Right. Um, to give proof of its combativeness, decision, firmness, determination, and persistence in the attack on the military dictatorship in order to permit all malcontents to follow example and fight with urban guerrilla tactics. Again, you know, there's there's some third worldism there, right? Yeah. If we show that we can weaken the empire from the inside, all of a sudden people will fight back against the empire on the outside uh, more vigorously, more confidently. Uh, meanwhile, the government, with all its problems and capable of halting guerrilla operations in the city, will lose time and suffer endless attrition and will finally be forced to pull back its repressive troops in order to mount a guard over the banks, industries, armories, and military barracks, prisons, public offices, rail, radio, and television stations, North American firms, gas storage tanks, oil refineries, ships, airplanes, ports, residencies of outstanding members of the regime, such as ministers, generals, police stations, and official organizations. You can see how much our ruling class depends on for their everyday comfort and their violent apparatus. Yep. Uh, the next point is to increase urban guerrilla disturbances gradually in an endless ascendancy of unforeseen actions such that the government troops cannot leave the urban areas to pursue the guerrillas in their interior without running into the risk of abandoning the cities and permitting rebellion to increase on the coast as well as the interior of the country. Again, I believe that's a lesson learned from the, the Watts Rebellion, right? You get them to have to put their guard up and, and chase a specific spot that can't guard everywhere, Right. And they're afraid to leave their post and let the city dissolve. Um, and we actually saw that recently a little bit with the, the, the Black Lives Matter um, pushes, you know, especially like in Minneapolis, where they had to leave a police station. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they had to, to they give up power to the people to control their other areas. Uh, to oblige the army and the police and with the commanders and their assistants to change the relative comforts and tranquility of their barracks and their usual rest for a state of alarm and a growing tension in the exploit expectation of attack or in search for tracks that vanish without a trace again that's very exhausting for them if they're exhausted from always being in fear the way they exhaust you and keeping you in fear all of a sudden your numbers advantage starts mattering a lot more yep um, to avoid open battle and decisive combat with government limiting with the government limiting the structure to brief and rapid attacks with lightning results. So that's a specific belief George has, right? We're not going to have a big ground war with the U.S. government, right? And 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 combat, you know, them having air power and things like that. It's going to have to be protracted and discreet and confusing and alarming for them, and 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 kind of break their infrastructure in the confusion. Uh, to assure for the guerrilla a maximum freedom of maneuver and of action without ever relinquishing the use of armed violence, remaining firmly oriented toward helping the beginning of the rural guerrilla warfare and supporting the construction of the army for national liberation. Again, you know, when we fully would take power, right? Well, we can't just take power and go, okay, great. So now the U.S. Army is all ours. Like, they're chock full of white supremacists. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, we're going to have to build power structures. And part of that power structure is military is police, right? This is a natural way of doing it. It's forged in the fire of revolution. Prestige is an abstract and intangible. It has no material basis, no substantial objective reality to be perceived through the senses. One can't touch it or taste it, see it or smell it. It can't be heard. So how does it exist? Subjectively, in the mind's eye, after the fact of some connected circumstances that may have also been subjective. We're looking for connections. The materialist approach is to examine things in their total sequence, see them in process, not to merely establish their being in fixed sequential images, but to take in the state of being in process, infancy, maturity, decline, things in motion, processed into another thing in motion. We're constantly laboring to determine which governs, regulates, motivates all the separate but related and interrelated processes from the viewpoint that consciousness is determined by by dialectical objective developments. 
And that is where we're going to end it for today because it's on page 50 exactly. And I like nice round numbers like anybody else. <laughs> uh, uh, Ooh, round number. Round number. <laughs> uh, that being said, we are pacing about 10 pages per per episode, which is about where we want to be. Uh, that's usually our, our solid pace when we're stopping off and, and doing current events and things like that. So uh, moving right along through this book, that would put us at, at about a 25 episode to finish, which is about what I would expect um, for, for a book of this length. So so strap in. We are just getting started. Um, but that being said, uh, this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. There are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us. Uh, the first of which is at uh, Gmail. Our Gmail address is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, the next way you can reach out to us would be on Twitter, the hell site that we have mentioned more in this episode than we normally do. Uh, we are at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. I look forward to David having to uh, post a picture of an anti-Nixon rocket launcher uh, onto that Twitter account. I'm now holding him to it. Ha, ha, you've been bound. You've been bound. You're going to get us banned. Uh, that being said, Twitter, uh, DMs are open. We are on there uh, uh, if you need to get us up on there. Um Next up would be uh, the link you find in our Twitter bio to our Discord server. Our Discord server is the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. Uh, it is a good community. I am happy to be a part of it. It is a, a great group of comrades that just like to, to, to lift each other up, uh, share share successes, share failures, share share anything that's on your mind. Um, and and then we play Final Fantasy, and then we watch bad TV sometimes on the weekends. We, we do bad TV. Um, but that being said uh discord is is a great place again if you've never been a part of one don't be scared you can come in and just hang out and lurk and just see other comrades and know that you're not alone and that you have a a group of people that that would be there if you needed something um so that is why i'm such an advocate of that service that all being the case david i think it is time to disclaim Absolutely. So obviously when uh, me and Nathan started this, um, Nathan had come up to me and was like, I want to read Capital. And you've read it once before. And theory, just like history, is something you should read in a group. So why don't we read it together? And, you know, I thought that was a pretty good idea. So we read it together. We decided to record because two was kind of a small reading group. And after getting about halfway through the book, we thought, you know, our recording is good enough. Why don't, why don't we share this to, with other people? Why don't we make our group a little bit bigger? And lo and behold, there's uh, quite a group now here. Um, and ever since that, that infancy, that beginning, uh, what we've always envisioned is hopefully you're out there in your group and in your party, um, organizing, um, doing the things on the ground that need to be done. And in your political education or your reading group, hopefully you're reading these books along with us and we can be another point of input, another resource, another person, um, speaking up and helping you, you know, fully interpret, fully soak in, fully review back over that book. Um, let's say that's not happening. Let's say you're reading it on your own. Hopefully we can be that reading group and give you all of those benefits that a reading group has, um, for you. And let's say that's not happening and we're either more of an enhanced ebook, like in a book like this where we read it word for word or, you know, in a book we summarize more kind of enhanced cliff notes type thing. Um, whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions. And when you put those works into action, um, in revolutionary action, it's a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, by definition, of course, cannot exist without theory, and theory is completely useless without praxis. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen, as always. That being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.